0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash (laughs) w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucksters what's happening i'm mark Marin. this is my podcast w-t-f welcome to it how's it going what's going on are you sick i got a thing I got a little thing. Can you hear it? Can you hear the thing in my voice, in my throat, in my head? I bash my head into a door too. So I got a thing and I bash my head into a door. That's the, uh, the problem with staying at hotels occasionally is that you got to really kind of get the map of the room in your head. It was a relatively complicated room. There was a front part and a middle part and there were too many doors and there was a door to the bathroom and I don't know, I'm an older man. I pee at night. And uh, I just walked right into the door in the worst way you can walk into a door. Like, it was open in just the right way to where it was... Uh, I walked either side of me when I was on either side of the door. And I just kind of...
1: Ba-doop-ba-doo.
0: Walked right into it with my face, side of my head, hitting the door. And uh, almost went out. I almost went, I almost went down. So I got a big... I uh, got a bump on my head. Hurt my jaw. Couldn't understand what was up. And I got a cold. That's... That's how I am today. I'm happy to be back home. I'm happy to be in the garage. I'm happy to be doing the work. I'm unhappy on some level uh, to be an American right now as we slowly drift, but uh, recently more rapidly into authoritarianism. And I'm not saying this with any hint of irony. I I don't, you know, I don't want to be a downer, you know, but uh, we're now that country. We're the country that uh, that will take your kids as punishment or as some sort of uh warning that's right we'll take your kids for you being desperate and needing somewhere to go for you needing refuge don't come here cuz we'll we'll torture your kids we'll put them in a camp and just the fact that they're there and away from you will cause lasting psychological harm that will probably uh, derail their lives on on some level so we will just the act of it we will torture your children if you come here in desperation that's who america is now sure a lot of us don't sign off on that and there's plenty of people that claim to be intelligent people that say hey man you break the law these are the we're torturing children children yeah but the law is we're we're torturing kids but they broke the law their parents shouldn't they're we're torturing children and it's it's hard to know what to do you know you you speak up because you don't want to be you don't want to be part of that poem when they came for the immigrant children i did not speak out Because I was not an immigrant child. That's the country we're living in now. We torture kids as punishment for their parents' transgression. And as a warning to other parents that uh, America is a country that tortures children. I know it's a heavy way to open, but it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know what to do. When your country becomes more authoritarian, it's hard to know when they cross a line and there's no coming back. It's happened to other countries. I guess it was only a matter of time before it happened here with a complicit Congress and a minority rule and a president that has no sense of humility or no sense of humanity. I'm not saying that he enjoys torturing children, but he sure uh, will use it. As political leverage, shamelessly, which I guess would be enjoyment, excitedly, enjoyment. So we're a country that tortures children now as a warning that you're not welcome here because we'll torture your children. So uh, I've talked to Brendan about it and he gave some money to a thing called uh, Family Reunification and Bond Fund. Uh, it provides legal representation and bond funds to get parents out of immigration detention and back with their children. It was set up by a group called RACES, that's R-A-I-C-E-S, Texas, Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. It's pronounced like RACES. The website is R-A-I-C-E-S, Texas, dot org. I will be contributing today. And, uh, you know, for you people that have justified this somehow in your mind, because it feels right in your mind that, you know, hey, don't break the law, just follow it through, you know, and, and this isn't virtue signaling, this is decency, you know, just, you know, follow it through. We're going to take your children and deny them touch you and a sense of safety because you were desperate and and we don't tolerate that anymore. We're going to take away touch. We're going to take away you and any sense of safety from your children. Torture them. And that's that's okay because you broke the law. So if you are able to, you know, contain that in your mind is a, a reasonable thing to do and and something you're proud of as an American, then I guess I'm not talking to you. And if this type of talk aggravates you or you accuse me of being a virtue signaler or if you find precedents in history, even American history, even in any history that, you know, this is somehow not that bad, those precedents should be used as an example of evil shit, not in the, as an aspiration. I, you know what? I'm going to go with 100% of the time. Torturing children as punishment or as a warning is demonic, evil shit. The organization, again, is RacistTexas.org. R-A-I-C-E-S-Texas.org. And that uh, basically is to provide legal representation and bond funds to get parents out of immigration detention and back with their children who are being tortured by the United States government at the behest of a utterly insensitive and callous president and the minority of people that uh, support him uh, in the country and a craven Congress that will do nothing. So. Back from New York, did I mention today is Billy Bob Thornton? Today he is here, Billy Bob Thornton, the mystery, the uh, the man. He's a very talented dude, great actor. I uh, watched uh, his new series Goliath; he's wonderful in it. And it was a uh, was a little intimidating meeting him, and and uh, but I think we had a nice chat. And as I said, I'm back from New York. I was on Colbert; that was a nice, uh, nice. Uh, that was a fun appearance for, uh, for me and Steven. I gave him a break. I gave old Steven Colbert a break. You know, I went on there. We had a little back and forth, and then I just said, I got it from here, Steven. You hang out, just watch me do this bit. And he did, and it was good. It wasn't a bad thing. It was fine to have Steven Colbert as a straight man and as an audience. Uh, I felt very good about the uh, performance. I liked the bit. I liked my suit. Uh, I felt like I, I didn't watch it and go like, ah man, what, 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 what's with those socks? None, I'm not going to watch it again because I'm sure I'll find something. But it was fun. It was good to see Stephen. It was uh, there's a fun picture of of him and I that I put up on my Instagram. Mark Marin, uh, backstage. It's on one of the publicists took. And uh, yeah, I, I I and then after that, I went to dinner with Sam Lipsey and his wife Karidwin Morris. And, uh, you know, we did uh, that kind of stuff. Me and Sarah, the painter, did uh, stuff like that. Did no comedy in New York, and it was, uh, it was fine. Seeing friends is important. It's, uh, it's important. Can't wait for Lipsight's new book. Can't fucking wait. You know, the things like movies and stuff like that. Can't wait. And uh, his wife's doing interesting work, too. Corridon, who is a regular listener to this show, is uh, coaching, uh, coaching couples uh, pre-childbirth, women I get but the yeah, couples I think too uh, just on how to deal with the pain of the thing coming out of you it's an interesting uh, interesting niche <laughs> yeah it's going to hurt man it's fun the one of the fun parts of uh, one of the fun one of the good things about dating an artist is that uh, you meet other artists that you respect and occasionally get to go to their studio i went to uh, fred Tomaselli's studio with Sarah, she, he's a friend of uh, Sarah's, who I met through her. Great guy. I'm a big fan of his paintings, and um, it was uh, it was kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It, it, it's in you know he's in this building that you know that's uh, kind of a famous weird old building. Allen Ginsberg used to live in it, and I I don't know. It's just it, it's it's a New York that that is not that it's not really there anymore. But the ghosts of it are, and some people inhabit the spaces where the ghosts were and continue. The legacy of, uh, of, of what New York used to be. And it's sort of refreshing to see it. And his art was great. It's always interesting to see how people work. Uh, he does very interesting stuff with resin and, and sometimes, uh, pot leaves and sometimes pills, sometimes pieces of newspaper. It was cool, man. It's cool to see other people's artwork. And I also went to, um, I went to out to the Brooklyn Art Museum and I saw the Bowie exhibit that everyone's been talking about. And uh, you know, I you know, you hear about things, you hear like this is amazing, that's amazing. You got to see it, and you're like, all right, all right. But it's basically a complete overview of Bowie's work. You know, that includes everything about him. You know, pictures, lyrics, outfits, costumes, videos, paintings. You know, all of it. Historical uh, mementos napkins with lipstick on them i mean everything and you walk into this thing and you put on a, a, a headset that kind of changes with each room when you interact with different rooms and i don't know what it was folks i i think it was you know something bigger than i anticipated because you know i got in there and um you know, you go through what what Bowie was watching when he was a kid, and all these exhibits and everything, and and then there's this one case where they just have a big, you know, video projection of of him doing Starman on the top of the Pops or whatever it was, right when he became Ziggy, and and I I just started crying, and I just let it happen. I'm not sure what I was. Feeling. I'm not sure what I was grieving. I don't know if it was joy or grief, some mixture of the of the two. I don't think I that when Bowie died, that I fully realized. I'm sure I did realize, you know, how important he was and his music was and what he represented was to my to my young life, to my middle life, to my older life. And maybe the loss was coming over me. And maybe it was just elation and appreciation. A joy that was coming over me, coming out of my eyes. Or maybe it was a grieving for my own youth. Or maybe it was a grieving for what seems to be diminishing in culture. A type of artistic freedom that that, that had occasionally a place in the mainstream. A a sort of a provocative, confrontational artistic freedom that, that bent the understanding of of gender and music, art. That Bowie as a person, how he intentionally inhabited his body in different ways and made himself look different and dress different and move different and sound different. It's fucking overwhelming and spectacular to see it all laid out. But for some reason, every time I got in front of a video or an interview, just started crying. And there was this big last room where they had just a huge screen of concert footage of him as Ziggy and then him later singing Heroes, cutting back to another performance of Heroes, Thin White Duke, Bowie, all different, just weeping. I let it happen. It needed to happen it was spectacular the exhibition was spectacular and you know whatever I was feeling whatever I was moving through was was helpful what was I grieving what are we grieving so much now I hope the voting works I really do Billy Bob Thornton's been around a long time. He's done a lot of amazing movies. He's done uh, some he's written amazing things. He's won awards. Season 2 of uh, Goliath just premiered on Amazon. You can stream all episodes of season 1 and season 2 now. This is me talking to the interesting and uh, mysterious Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Do you have an impression of him? Because I talked to Brolin. Brolin's got an impression.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, no. I mean, I, I did a movie with Nick, and I've just known him over the years, but it's just uh, very... Which one did you... Which movie was it? Uh, it's called U-Turn. Oh, yeah. And, with John
0: uh, Penn, that weird kind uh, yeah. of... That
1: John Ridley script. Yeah. Oliver Stone directed it. Right. Uh, yeah.
0: Like, it was like just one town. Yeah. You know, like, it was a very... Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what it was about.
1: Do you? Yeah. I don't know if I knew at the time. <laughs> but uh, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. It Be- oh, because of those personalities. I mean, right? Yeah. And everybody was in it. Yeah. You know, Claire Danes and That's Joaquin right. Phoenix and John Voigt and Booth. Oh, my God. And wow. Everybody was in it. That's crazy. Yeah. I Jennifer re- Lopez. She wasn't even JLo yet. I can't remember what the fuck it was about. Well, Sean gets you know it's his, like a his noir car. thing. Yeah, his car breaks down in this little town in Arizona. Yeah, right. And I'm the mechanic, and oh, I yeah. won't let him have his car. Right. And so he's stuck there, and, he, and it and gets weird. And it gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I gained sixty pounds for that movie. You on purpose? Yeah, I was. I had gained it for uh, that and another movie. And then I, what I didn't consider was that the next movie after that, I didn't want to be heavy. Right. Yeah, so, but I didn't have time to lose it. So yeah. I did two or three in a row like that. And so then, you can just lose it. Well, it's not. It's not easy. But it was. Well, it kind of is for me, really, because I'm allergic to a lot of food. So You've been lean for a long time now. A long time. Now. Yeah. And this is what I was in high school too. I mean, so. in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I actually am the same height and weight that I was as a senior in high school.
0: That must feel good. That's not bad. Do you, you feel? Know you feel as good as you did in high school? Oh shit, no. <laughs> right (laughs) what's the diet help me help me out i need i'm I'm trying to i'm on the sugar detox right now
1: well i'm just allergic to stuff yeah i'm allergic to wheat dairy uh shellfish so it cuts down a lot of stuff and also i have type ab negative blood which is the rarest type it's like less than one percent of the population of the world has it so it means that you don't have as many digestive enzymes right so i can't eat red meat or pork or anything like that but you used to I did, but I just assumed that everybody felt like hell after they ate. I well, just thought that's what eating felt like. Right.
0: <laughs> this is just what you get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you, But you weren't, like, really sick. You just felt shitty. I just felt shitty, yeah. And then you went to the doc, and he's like, oh, you got to...
1: Went to a holistic doctor in California, and I, I've been out here 38 years, and I think I probably went to that doctor after about maybe, say, eight or nine years. And, uh, and she said... Uh, Try this. I think maybe this could help you, and sure enough, it did. No kidding. So she
0: yeah. just gave you the diet. She said, yeah. D- don't don't eat this shit.
1: Yeah. Huh. And then, of course, she gave me some you know, extract of, oh, like, yeah, of course. sassafras yeah. root or yeah, whatever of that was. Yeah. The,
0: the strange capsules and like, tinctures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do this three times a day. Exactly. And believe in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And maybe that works. Maybe <laughs> sure, that's what it, it is. Of course it does. Just yeah.
0: believe that it's working. <laughs> yeah. So I just finished watching the whole first season of Goliath. I didn't get the second season, but uh, but like I, I'm glad I locked in, you know, because I mean, there's obviously we could talk about a lot of things, but I wanted to see the the new the new work, and I plowed through it in two days, and did a great job. Oh, thank. And it's like, uh, you know, what I want to know though, and I guess this is the kind of questions I don't usually, you know, talk about the, you know, this kind of stuff right off the bat in terms of like what you're here to talk about, but right. so so like when you work with someone like Bill Hurt. Who I, you've not worked with him before, have you? No, I had not. Right. So this is a guy who's a little older than you, probably somebody you respected at some point. Do you still, Are you, do you get excited when you got to work with a dude or you just sort of oh, like, Oh, eh. sure. I,
1: I love to work with good actors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's the opposite in movies than it is, you know, I, I, I have a, a foot in each world yeah. of music, music. And, and movies. And so, TV and, and grew up in, in, in music. Yeah. So. In music, it's the other way around. Right. If your opening act is really slamming... Yeah. <laughs> you're fucked, you know? I mean, it's like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could get somebody up there who's like... Yeah. Uh, it's like when Jimi Hendrix opened sure. for the Monkees or whatever it right. was, you know? And I love the Monkees, but, I mean, it was Jimi Hendrix, and that's what was happening right then. And so, a, a good way to get fired off a of tour is be better than the sure. headliner. You know, I
0: can't blow the, the headliner off stage. Uh,
1: but in movies you a lot of people have that attitude they Mm -hmm. think they're afraid to work with some really good actor because you know it's going to make them look bad or whatever it is but it's actually the other way around in movies in Uh movies you want to surround yourself with good people right and uh the the better the actors are around you the better you are and uh and i've always respected bill hurt and uh uh, he was terrific. Yeah, I, I loved working with him. I mean, we didn't work together a lot but because that, that. we were on separate you know ends of the show. But but it was always interesting and always always uh, uh you know uh, creatively fulfilling.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you didn't work a lot together, but the scenes that you did have were were meaty. Uh, yeah. Right. They, 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 they sure were. The yeah. courtroom scene and the hospital scene. Yeah, yeah. And like so, when you say it was c- creatively fulfilling, is it because? Like you know, neither one of you seem to be sleeping through it. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, right. You got a you got a Golden Globe for this thing, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, it's great. But but when when you're working with somebody like that, can you see like the what he's doing and what you're doing that, to get into that place, or do you just feel it out?
1: You know what I mean? Uh, well, it was interesting with him. It's usually he had makeup.
0: He had makeup, and he had,
1: oh and yeah, the whole burn. He fucked up it, at yeah. the end. Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, when I'm doing a scene yeah. i i forget all of the rest of the world yeah i i love to be so involved in a scene i'm not aware of yeah of, of the fact that you're making a movie or whatever but you know uh the weird thing about it was is that bill works in a, in a if you could take two actors who yeah. are exactly the opposite it's us uh-huh i mean you know he was like a juilliard guy and, yeah and uh very very studied I mean you know he's he really works on parts and, uh-huh. and uh, all that and me I'm sort of a loose improvisational kind of you know cast uh, everything to the wind right kind of guy yeah and so it actually worked for that because we were yeah. supposed yeah. to be like oil and water
0: and also you know, he's supposed to be the control freak guy and yes. you're, you're supposed to be a loose cannon dude
1: yeah kind exactly. of right and it I, I, and it worked uh, beautifully I mean we didn't have to uh, rehearse. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. and and did you are you part of are you you a producer on the show? No, 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 because
1: I I saw Dwight in there. I
0: figured like, well, Billy Bob must pull Dwight in there because you guys worked together so long ago. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Dwight's one of my closest friends, and uh, actually, one of the uh, producers said to me, uh, "Hey, what about the? We were just thinking. I mean, you know, Dwight. Yeah, how would he? He would be good for a rich oil guy, right? (laughs) Right. Or, Or or a corporate guy. I mean, yeah." and i said uh, yeah it'd be great and, I, and he said do you think we could get him i said i'll call him yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i think you're the guy that
0: broke him as an actor really he'd done a couple of things before slingblade Blade. right yeah, yeah
1: but slingblade is the thing that really all of a sudden got him uh, a lot of credibility and work as an actor and but he'd done a couple of things before that he was actually in that movie i don't know if you remember it might have been a like a showtime movie or something i don't uh-huh. know but it was about Roswell. I think it was called Roswell, and uh, Kyle McLaughlin was in it. Was it
0: about the aliens?
1: Yeah, yeah it's where yeah. the farmer discovers the, the right. aluminum stuff yeah. or whatever it was sure. on his farm. Yeah. And Dwight played the farmer, and I'd seen him in that. And uh, he was also, he had a couple of scenes in Red Rock West with Nick Cage. I always was impressed with Dwight. I, I thought, uh, because, you know, the thing is, is I started music, m- ended up becoming popular in the movie world. Yeah. Dwight started out as an actor and ended up becoming popular in the music world because he was in like the, uh, uh, he was an actor at Ohio State and all this kind of stuff. Oh know,
0: yeah, right? well yeah, there's a couple guys that started out in music. I think Johnny Depp started in music. He was in huh. a band in Florida, from what wow. I heard. Huh. Like I mean, it, it's interesting, you know how however, however your creativity lands. Well, I mean, what happened? Like you're the second guy. I hardly know anyone from Arkansas. Now, like I had Mary Steenburgen in here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like two weeks ago. Yeah. And just talking about, about Arkansas. Right. And she's got nothing but love for Arkansas.
1: That's wild. Do you? There's a bunch of people from there. Oh, of course. I, I mean, of like, course there are. I just and, don't and know a thing, lot of them. Well, I mean, the thing about it is when you start to research it, the number of, especially country music people. Oh yeah, uh, you know Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell were both in there, and you know they grew up there. Uh, grew up there, yeah. And uh,
0: we get the Ozarks, right? Yeah, yeah, get yeah, the I mean,
1: Ozarks and stuff. It's, a, I think, it's probably a nice place to, uh, if you wanted to retire. You know, it's a good place for that because they've got hot springs, which is where I was born, and. Uh, it's kind of a resort town. They have the mineral baths, and it's oh yeah, a, a beautiful place. You know, yeah.
0: I just like it's weird because I don't like I I wouldn't think to necessarily make it a destination. Like you know, in my mind, I'm like, what are we going right. to do for that two weeks?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, you can find stuff. I mean, it's uh, especially if you go to hot springs. That's yeah. kind of the town. It's 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 got a lot of history. Uh, yeah. A lot of the gangsters went there back in the... From Chicago? Uh, yeah, the Chicago guys. Like Al Capone had a place there, and Meyer Lansky, all those guys used to go there because... Well, Al Capone, evidently, I mean, this is just what I read about right. it, you know. sure. Uh, but uh, supposedly Al, Al Capone went to Hot Springs because uh, at th- in those days, they thought that hot mineral baths would cure syphilis. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, I guess it didn't. No, <laughs> it doesn't at all. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they should go to a holistic doctor. Uh, yeah, no joke. Yeah. <laughs> or, either, or he just didn't believe in yeah. the mineral bath. Yeah. Oh, no.
0: man. It's right. Yeah, he lost his mind and his dick. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, That makes sense. I guess people didn't want to tell anybody about it. You not want to go to the doctor. I don't yeah. know. But like, where, what part of Arkansas did you grow up in?
1: around hot springs oh yeah. just
0: right there and then you were born there yeah. and you stayed around there i have no sense of the state
1: well it's the south central part of the okay. state Okay, uh, and what's, what state's central. it up against uh it's surrounded by missouri uh tennessee uh louisiana oklahoma
0: real south really
1: yeah, I kind of, I guess they'd call it the Mid-South. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I, I think to really get into Dixie, I, I think you're talking Mississippi. Right, sure. Alabama, Georgia, you know See, what I mean?
0: Yeah, so. so you're sort of like the cowboy South. Yeah, like it's, there's more uh, more right. Western sort of influence, like Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: it's it's more like Oklahoma it's not East agriculture.
0: Ta- it's bulls, and you know, I don't know.
1: And there, there there is quite a bit of agriculture, but it's more on the eastern side because it's by the Mississippi River, right? So in other words, I grew up like an hour and a half or so from Memphis. Oh, that's great. And uh, and Memphis was really uh, our town. You know, nice. that was that's where we went for everything. Like they had a. Uh, the Mid-South Coliseum there, where we'd go see a lot of the concerts and stuff you like that. You and your that. family? Uh, you know, we, just no, friends? just yeah, me and oh, whatever, yeah. whatever egghead <laughs> I was hanging out with at Let's the time. Get in the car and go, kind yeah, right. of shit. Yeah, exactly.
0: But none of your family's in the arts of any kind?
1: Uh, my uncle was a country singer and musician. Uh, yeah. Not a famous one. He was a carpenter also, and uh, kind of a, he was sort of a, you know, uh i don't know how to explain it I mean, he was the same as hank williams only not famous <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was yeah. an, an out of control uh, uh, yeah. uh animal absolutely yeah <laughs> live the life just oh, yeah. didn't make the bread exactly and, and my my uh, grandmother was a writer she wrote for magazines and newspapers yeah. and uh uh i grew up in a little tiny town uh uh Mostly, I lived at my grandmother's house till I was eight or nine years old. Oh yeah, and, yeah. There was no running water, or electricity, but we were the sort of the family around there that was literate. So she used to do people's taxes for them and stuff like that.
0: Really? Yeah. So it was re- so it was that type of poverty and, and oh yeah. and, and lack of education. Yes. Where were your folks? Uh, they were there too. Oh, just... uh,
1: see, my dad was in the Korean War, when he got out, he went to college on the GI Bill, right. and ultimately became a history teacher and a coach. And, that's but, pretty good yeah yeah it was great and uh he was a high school basketball coach so if you see Hoosiers yeah imagine the really low rent much more uh well po- a poorer yeah. version of Hoosiers and that was kind of my of life Hackman and, oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 did you ever work with him yeah I never did I know him and I always liked Gene he's uh you know those guys uh I mean those were the guys that inspired me you yeah, know, right. because they were that
0: generation still
1: here you yeah, know when yeah. i got here and right I, I got here in 1980 so uh those guys were going strong so Duvall, who i've done like seven movies with uh Duvall was sort of my mentor and i knew i knew hackman kind of through him and uh also wilford brimley and oh, you know yeah. th- th- those kind of guys yeah. you know and I, I loved those guys and uh they didn't fool around. Jimmy Kahn, you yeah. know, all those guys were, were heroes of mine, so they didn't uh, fool around? You know? No, no. I mean they were they, they worked. They work and you they don't suffer fools gladly. No shit. No. Yeah.
0: Well Hackman, you know, you can he's one of those guys you can just watch, you know, eat. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know? I totally agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. So all right, so you're hanging around, you you your your dad's a, a teacher and coach. What's your mom doing?
1: Uh, my mom, uh, well, you know, back in those days, moms were housewives. Sure, and I mean, you got brothers and sisters. Uh, I had uh, two brothers. Uh, my youngest brother, who is, I was practically like a an uncle to him because yeah. when he, I was twelve when he was born. Oh wow! He's in the medical field up in uh, uh, Santa Clara, California, by San Jose. There. Oh he, yeah, he teaches nursing. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, he he's an RN and also. Uh, he was a medic in the army and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no So kidding. Uh, he did that. My uh, middle brother, Jimmy, was a, who was a great songwriter and musician, uh, passed away in 1988. Sorry, man. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, he was 30 years old. Oh, what and, the fuck? Yeah, he had a, they think he had rheumatic fever as a child or something like that, and they never caught it because huh. he never went to the doctor. But... Uh, he uh, died from a heart problem, and they, oh. they think he had it since he was a kid. And, oh, shit. Sounds he like was, that
0: thing Paxton might have had.
1: Yeah, his was different, but uh-huh. it was that kind of thing. I mean, the f- sad thing about Paxton, who was I was really close with, you know. I a, know. I talked a, to him like a, three weeks before he died. It's crazy, you know. And Bill, Fuck. But Bill knew he had it. Yeah. And he I, went uh, in to get it fixed. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's really... Uh, I mean that's the whole tragedy of that thing. It's like you go in to get it fixed, and you and, and that didn't work out. Takes you. Yeah. Just
0: it's so sad.
1: Same thing that happened to John Ritter. You know, John died right. from the same thing. Yeah. Oh, and you guys worked together, didn't? Oh, you? Oh yeah, a long time ago. Right. Yeah, a long, um, long time ago. John he was, was in Swing Boys. Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 That was <laughs> a big, uh, big shift for him.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. He's great. I love John. Yeah.
0: So, so. When you were growing up, the first thing was music, huh? You just started playing in bands and shit.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm from that era when uh, everything was about Elvis, and then after that, the Beatles. And uh, so you remember seeing them? Oh, absolutely. I was uh, I was eight years old. It was a weird time because see, I was born in '55. Right. Kennedy was assassinated in '63. Right. Remember '63? So I had uh, I had just turned. Eight. Yeah. And eight or nine. Hell so I, you kind of do remember it. I remember it very clearly, and it was everything to us, because we got a little bit of uh, uh, sort of like pre-Sullivan show stuff over here. You know, like they were selling the Beatle Dolls, and I Want to Hold Your Hand was right, out. Right. And the first record I ever bought with my own mitts, you know, was I Want to Hold Your Hand. And oh, the, really? The single? The single. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so... When I saw The Beatles and Ed Sullivan, that was it. And I think for our era, the guys that were born around my time. And and in terms of actors, it's like uh, Costner and Bruce Willis and me and uh, Paxson also same year. Uh, I think Tom Hanks is one year behind us. Dennis Quaid's a year ahead of us. But we're all born right in that area. Yeah. And uh, so... I think one of the great things about being born in the days when rock and roll was new yeah, is the fact that we, the bar was set so high for us <laughs> yeah. that we grew up knowing we'd never be what we wanted to be. Huh. So in other words, it keeps you trying, you know what I mean? It keeps you hungry the, your whole life because you're trying to achieve something that's impossible because... You're never going to be Elvis or the Beatles. It's not going to happen. But you
0: but you never thought, like, but we can do it. All I need is these three chords, and, and you know, we can have a good time and get people moving.
1: Yeah. No, we did think that. Yeah. And, and of course, back then, you thought that maybe you could be the American Beatles. I right, mean, right. So, I'm, and by the time I'm 10, 11, I'm in a band, you know, and we're. You know, our equipment was pretty limited, at but 10? Uh, at ten, at <laughs> ten, you know. But uh, you know, playing a broom as a guitar, <laughs> that kind of thing. But what,
0: what did you play? What's your instrument?
1: Uh, I started out on drums.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. that that was your thing, huh? Yeah. So you remember, like, that's weird because I talked to Paxton about like he was at. I think he was at that day in Dallas.
1: Oh Wasn't right, he? yeah, he was. He yeah, was man.
0: That, I mean, he was on his dad's shoulders. I, I, that's or, right, or someone's shoulders. That that that. Man, do you do you remember that happening?
1: Oh, absolutely! What
0: do you move, just like grown ups
1: crying or what? Everybody lost their minds and it was like yeah, everybody was weepy and it was a gigantic deal. And in school, they they let us out of school and I think maybe I can't remember right now, but I think it might have been on a Sunday mm-hmm. when it actually happened. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not real clear on that, but. Yeah. I do know they let us out of school for a day or two and then when we came back to school they brought television sets into all the classrooms and we watched the funeral. Oh yeah. on television.
0: With the with Jackie walking with those kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Holy shit, that yeah, was crazy.
1: So uh, so you start playing when you're young and when do you get into the first real band? Uh, I was probably in my first real band I was probably 13. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh you know we played the usual stuff you know sure. we, we played uh, house of the rising sun and <laughs> hanky panky by tommy james and the shondells yeah. you know all that kind of stuff one of the funniest things we ever did because we didn't have a microphone in the beginning uh-huh. and stuff was hard to come by and we these were the days when maybe two guitar players would play through the same amp right cut and, each other out uh, and yeah, yeah. exactly I mean, it's just a mess right <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. uh, it's good enough for us yeah, so sure. one guy had a uh one guy had a silver tone amp and one guy had a fender uh i think it was a deluxe like maybe. that thing yeah oh is that a deluxe yeah it's so a Harvard. little deluxe yeah a little oh yeah it's like a 57 that's an old 58. One. That's, yeah that's yeah. a dandy right there yeah it's great so um So we had a couple of guys play through one amp, and then like the guy who played bass played through the other. But we didn't have a bass, yeah. So he just played the bass notes on a guitar, right? right? Yeah. And uh, and then I played drums, and of course my drum kit at that time was something like we got through Sears catalog or whatever that had like a picture of a palm tree on the front (laughs) of the drum. You know what I mean? One of those. And um, so uh, we we played at this uh, our first real performance in front of people was. At a PTA meeting in the cafeteria, of the elementary school. Yeah. And we played House of Rising Sun, but this was all instrumentals. No singing. No singing. <laughs> so we did Hanky Panky, House yeah. of Rising Sun. <laughs> right. And a couple others, I can't remember what they were, uh, Summertime Blues. Sure. and But those songs are pretty repetitive. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with no vocal. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. and But the funny one that we did, there was a song at the time... Uh, done by a guy named uh, Sergeant Barry Sadler, uh-huh. who was a Vietnam, like, Green Beret. Yeah. And it was called The, the Ballad Bar- of the, the Green Beret. Bar- 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the whole point of the song was a recitation right. by this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, with these people yeah. singing in the background stuff. So we did an instrumental of something that stays on like a couple of chords with the drums <laughs> doing kind of like a parade march. Yeah. So we do an instrumental of a talking song. And, and it I, was just stupid.
0: And no one's playing the melody or he is? Or he's just, no. He's just doing
1: the- No, we're just no, <laughs> <out. We're, we're, laughs> so, Because we didn't okay. nobody played lead guitar then. Yeah, you know so what I mean? Playing we, the chords? Playing the chords. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well yeah, even that old amp, that's got a plug in for a mic. Oh sure. Yeah, these things was, We you know, did that too. E- yeah, everything it goes right through that.
1: When we finally got a mic, yeah. we plugged the mic sure. in with a guitar, with the, uh, you know, and yeah, it was get, just mud. Yeah,
0: it's all in one thing. It's perfect.
1: Let's <laughs> get the chords. Exactly. So did you ever make money? Well, we started to when I got in high school, yeah. Same guys? Uh, oh, no. I, I moved on. I was in three or four different bands right. uh, from the time Always I was- Always playing drums? Uh, no, I was a singer in some bands. I yeah. played bass in one band, I, I uh, but either drums or vocals usually, yeah. and- uh, so we, you know, by the time I got in my late teens, uh, we were, they used regional acts a lot of times for opener, uh-huh. opening bands for big names. Sure. Your buddy so,
0: Billy Gibbons opened for Hendrix.
1: With, oh, he yeah, uh, yeah, sure did. What is. was
0: it, Electric Sidewalks? Is that what oh, oh, Moving Sidewalks. Moving Sidewalks, yeah. yeah.
1: And we opened for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. we, we opened for Black Oak, Arkansas, and Humble Pie, and... Uh, That's cool. You know, Earl Scruggs Review, nice. Richie Havens, you know, yeah. so... By the time I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen, I had already played at festivals and stuff of twenty thousand people. So that you know kinda, the feeling. I knew, I knew the feeling early, yeah, so that yeah. was good. Yeah. And it must be cool to see Earl Scruggs play. Oh <laughs> man, I I tell you what, that Earl Scruggs review because his sons were sure. like plugged into the rock and roll world, and they got Earl. You know, playing the banjo thing, doing that, and uh,
0: one of the kids is a mandolin player. How does it lay out, the Scruggs boys? uh,
1: Well, in the Earl Scruggs review, they really just played guitars, Uh bass, and drums, Uh and they're always on banjo uh, because it was kind of a. it was kind of a a, a a version of like a burrito brothers or sure. you know that kind of thing yeah trying
0: to get the kids to like it
1: yeah exactly I mean, yeah, yeah let's get
0: dad to hip to the kids let's get the kids hip exactly. to kids. exactly yeah right. yeah and havens was he up there by himself just beating he, that thing up you
1: know he had a he had a uh, two guys with him mm-hmm. he had a bass player and a drummer and richie and i knew richie years later also this is really? we played up there with him in 76 but I got to know him later on, and he was on a show with us at South by Southwest one time. And I reminded him of this when he played at this one festival. Yeah, Uh, he played so hard, and you know he played open tuning. So and his hands were like a foot and a half long. So he he just wrapped his hand around the neck, you know. Right. And he strummed with his fingers, you know. Yeah. And he was so intense that he passed out. He was sitting on a stool. He used to sit on a stool and play.
0: And rock, right? And rock
1: back and forth. And he just went over backwards. And I was one of the guys who helped to get him off the stage, which was pretty, at the time, I was like i'm gonna be in rolling stone magazine because i helped get richie havens off the stage when he passed out of course you know I didn't yeah. come to anything he just
0: thought uh, you're a roadie or something did he yeah. re- Did you remember it
1: no 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 <laughs>
0: shit no, I he, thought... didn't <laughs> he didn't remember nothing yeah. so you do you go to memphis and you do the whole thing you try to get record deals how, how do you end up you know, you're taking a turn and coming out here you know what i mean
1: well we were we made a couple of records you know uh but not under the name that not the box oh gosh no 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 this was way the box has only been together 12 years but yeah. this uh, i did solo records before yeah. that but
0: i heard a couple of them yeah the, but that was still 2001 though right or, yeah
1: yeah and yeah. uh i actually made my first real record in a studio in uh, uh Muscle shoals mm-hmm. alabama in uh sheffield in the, alabama technically uh-huh. uh and uh, which is you know obviously a hotbed for the old soul stuff. And
0: did you play at that studio?
1: Uh, the
0: actual Muscle Shoals, not Muscle
1: Shoals soul Sound. They, right. they had they had several there. Yeah, sure. And uh, we were at a studio called Widget Sound, uh-huh. which is uh, defunct now. But uh, tiny little place. Yeah. And we drove down and recorded there. We made we did two songs. They never became a record, but we, we had them. One of the guys in the band, I think, still has them on real real like tape. demo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, they were both original songs. And this is back, we were still really cutting our teeth on writing our own songs. Were you like
0: 19, 18?
1: Yeah, like, yeah, 18, yeah. 19. And, and we, uh, we had one song called Lady of Evil. Yeah. And the other song was called You and Me for Eternity. Oh, nice. Yeah, right. That was a good little rhyme
0: there. <laughs> you, got, you got it all covered love yeah. and, and the right. other thing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and then we made, and then I got in a band uh, called Nothing Doing with a couple of guys that I'm still in touch with these days from uh, near my hometown. Uh huh. We were a three-piece, and we cut a record over at uh, Ardent Studios in Memphis, which is a very famous old sure. studio. Still going.
0: Yeah, and, and do you do, but those, were those released?
1: Well, that one was released yeah. by our manager, who yeah. got them pressed up and distributed them around Houston, because what happened is we ended up, uh, a guy came backstage, we're playing a place called Cardi's in Houston. I don't yeah. think it's there anymore. And this guy came backstage and said... Uh, Hey, you guys sound just like ZZ Top. How'd you like to be a ZZ Top cover act? I'm a I'm an agent, and I used to work for ZZ Top. And this was back before you had these cover bands of, you know, like right. they do now. And right, And we said, well, what, uh, what's in it for us? We don't know what that means. They said, well, you need to look like them and play their songs and stuff like that. And we said, well, what do we get out of it? And he said, how much are you making a night? And we said, $300. And he said, how'd you like to make $1,500 a night? We said, we'd like that very much. Sure.
0: So you played in the easy Top Cover Band? For two
1: or three years, yeah, called Trace Hombres. <laughs> really? Yeah. You tell Billy about this? Oh, Billy saw us back then. <laughs> he he uh, I've known Gibbons for a long time.
0: So well, what moment happens where you're like, well, fuck this, I'm going to Hollywood? I mean, what was the...
1: Well, my buddy Tom Epperson, who... Uh, the guy was you write my, with? Uh, the guy I wrote a lot of scripts with over the years. Uh, Tom was my neighbor back home. and he In you know, Arkansas? Yeah. And he was a smart guy, and he, you know, he, he ended up teaching freshman English back there and stuff like uh-huh. that. And he wanted to go be a screenwriter. Right. And he said, you know, uh, you were in drama in high school. He goes, maybe you can be an actor. And I said, yeah, maybe I can get in a band, which is really why I came out here. And I just came with him. You did do drama in high school, though? Well, I did it because I made such shitty grades and everything else. I thought, how hard can this be? <laughs> and uh, I thought maybe I'll get a C or a B or something. Yeah, That'd yeah. be great, right? And uh, and there were girls in there. Sure, you know what I mean. But you tried. You, you did a little acting. I did some acting and and as a junior and senior in high school. Do you like it? And. Uh, well, it was, I mean, we did stuff like Cinderella. I know. I mean, do you, know. I mean, so, you like being on
0: stage? Did you get no, the vibe? Not no. particularly. Didn't no. do nothing?
1: I <laughs> know. I mean, I just thought it was kind of silly. <laughs> Plus, you were always kind of dressed up funny. Yeah. You know, sure. And, and those things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you come out here with Epperson. Yeah. Thinking you're going to you know, hit some rock and roll. What year is it?
1: Uh, we got here. I think we got here actually in not eighty, eighty one, the beginning of eighty one. Oh, so it's uh,
0: so so the strip is different. It's not the seventies, but something else is happening: hair metal stuff yeah, oh, like that.
1: Absolutely, and and that was even maybe a little before that. I uh-huh. mean, punk yeah, right. was going on, right? And, uh, uh, but back then, the Sunset Strip was still really alive. Sure. And then they had cruising. Remember when cruising became popular on the strip? Right. and they had hookers on the strip that were like out of vegas i mean you know they wore the feather oh, right. boas and they were dressed up in miniskirts. so stuff.
0: 81 so it's like the peak of coke and hair and
1: oh like, yeah yeah so yeah.
0: like what so what are you doing are you going to clubs are you checking out the the scenes
1: i'm barely alive uh, i mean we were we got out here with hardly any money uh, we lived in a creepy little uh converted motel down on motor avenue and huh. uh in palms. And, oh, in palms. Uh, yeah,
0: that's where people would live with it when they wanted to live like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was literally a converted motel. So we had it was one room with a bathroom, no kitchen, no anything. So Tom was four years older than me, and you know I was kind of they used to pick on me when I was a kid. So he 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 took the bed; I slept on the floor. Yeah. But that's where we started writing screenplays, and uh, I got a job working for Shakey's Pizza Parlor. Oh my God, Shakey's. Yeah. Yeah. Well
0: I mean that was it wasn't terrible pizza but you had the whole birthday thing and
1: oh yeah yeah and, and the and the and the bunch of lunch oh yeah was oh, there a bunch of lunch oh yeah oh, there was a bunch of lunch you know you get you get all you can eat man <laughs>
0: so that was the job you working at Shakey's yeah, <laughs> wearing the hat Shakey. throwing sh- in the oven oh,
1: bow tie the whole thing yeah yeah making pizzas uh, is not and... there a
0: piano in Shakey's Wasn't there a piano in there
1: yeah they, they, well they used to have a guy Right, our shakeys didn't, but they would have a guy dressed up in the old thing with the bow tie and yeah. the straw hat, playing a banjo, okay, and doing not, that kind not, of stuff. Not, but, not of yours. No, our shakeys didn't have that. You know, <laughs> they they had like a centipede game or something.
0: That was it. Yeah. Just the, some kid in the corner.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: So that was the gig. So you're uh, you're sweeping on the floor, writing screenplays with that person, working at shakeys. Yeah. And yeah. then, what, how long does that go on for, dude? I well, mean, I when... worked
1: shaky's like a year, year and a half, and then I uh, got some other kind of job somewhere. And then the guys in the band called me up and said, "Hey, we're you know we're moving to Houston. You you want to come back down here and play some more music?" And I was having I had a bad breakup with this girl, and uh, Tom actually came and picked me up because I this girl she, she busted my heart and. Uh, I was in a pair of shorts and a straw hat. as was in the summer, running down the median, like, just desperate.
0: Where, here and, in L.A.?
1: Yeah, down Venice Boulevard. And uh. I ended up at a 7-Eleven, and I called Tom. Yeah. And I said, you gotta come get me, I'm losing my mind. I got on a, uh, a bus and went to Houston. I said, I can't take it, and I went back to Houston, played music for about a little over a year, and then came back. Had you lived in Houston before? Uh yeah but well, me and the guys we'd been in houston and oh, with, they, the,
0: with the Trace hombres
1: yeah they had a they had a uh, uh their dad owned a equipment rental place the guy they rented guy, like oh they were brothers their brothers okay. and, and uh he owned an equipment rental place and they worked there and i started working there and i you know we've rented bulldozers and backhoes yeah. and and sump pumps and everything else yeah.
0: That, uh, so that was uh, that was the subsidized the music.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
0: you go back yeah. to Houston, and then and, I come back. But you're all fucked up out there. You leave. You lose your mind over a woman, and you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not <laughs> a. It's a bad feeling, man.
1: It really to
0: is. be broke and broken hearted. Yeah, and at a Seven Eleven using a payphone. Right.
1: <laughs> it was pretty bad, <laughs> and and you know we were starving to death all the time. I mean, you know, uh, even in the shaky's job, I th- I think I brought home six dollars over what our rent was which was 90 dollars a week what
0: was he doing
1: nothing yeah <laughs> well he was a teacher and he was looking for a teaching job it's like you know he ultimately got a job working at a private mail receiving center and he worked there for a few years and i worked there for a little bit he got me on there and this is back in you know, when we first got here i was just talking about this with somebody the other day stuff was still here like tiny nailers was it was here and uh schwabs yeah and you know places like that were still still around right yeah. sure
0: in 81 yeah yeah I, I they yeah they're all it's weird how they're all gone huh yeah but uh stuff's
1: gone but even like like Ben Franks oh I know Ben Sunset. Franks is now some kind of like 50s where, diner I think it's a milk diner or, was, yeah, yeah right.
0: right but but yeah Ben Franks was around when I was here and there was just oh, yeah yeah you do you do see it go away but you know you caught that you know the, coming out in 81 82 that at least the tail end of uh, the town was still around. Yeah, a lot sure of it. Was. So you went to Houston, and that didn't work out, and you came. Yeah, back. I came
1: back, and I, I was in an acting class. Uh, there was a guy, John Woodlock, who I owe a lot to, who was had an acting class, and we met this friend. Is he still around? I know you moved to Australia, and he's a cattle rancher now. Really? Yeah.
0: He was your yeah. acting teacher.
1: Yeah, who? he ta- he taught up in San Francisco and L.A. Huh? And uh, there was a guy named Jeff Lester, who is still a director and yeah. writer, and lives in Vegas. and and Jeff uh, had a connection to Tom through his his girlfriend's mother, had been a schoolteacher with yeah. Tom. So uh, he said, when we met him, and he was the only guy we knew here, and he said, you ought to come to my acting class. And I did. And, uh, and Tom was like, yeah, you should try this, you know, why not? And I did, and uh, it, um, I was in the class for two or three years, and uh, he was really good to me.
0: What made you like? Because it didn't. It doesn't sound like initially you had much interest in it.
1: Well, we didn't have where I I grew up. There was one theater, and uh, they played whatever the new Don Knotts or Dick Van Dyke movie was, and that's all we knew about movies. I wasn't, you know, Martin Scorsese is one of these guys who knows movies inside and out. He grew up, you know, as a rabid movie kid. You know, right? I was that way with albums. Like I knew all the liner notes. I didn't know anything about movies. Or theater or anything else.
0: So you taking doing acting as sort of a fluke, or you just did Well, I just did it.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I just went in there because I didn't have anything else to do, and but I didn't have any money. So yeah. what I did is I took one of Tom's Shakespeare books. Uh, we were staying with it. My cousin, who I hadn't seen in like a million years out in San Bernardino because yeah. we'd run out of money. So we're in Rialto, California out there in San Bernardino County. Right. And I take one of Tom's Shakespeare books because the guy said, well, come in. And do a scene or a monologue. Well, I can't do a scene. I don't know anybody. So yeah. I did a monologue, and I figured I know what I'll do. I'll rewrite Othello, yeah, and I'll play all the characters. And so I went into the class, and I, I started doing Othello from Iago's point of view, sitting in his jail cell telling what happened. Yeah. So every time I got to another character, I changed voices and I played them all as modern day people. Right. Like Othello is kind of a street hustler guy, and 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 Desdemona was kind of a valley girl, and Iago was a redneck. You know yeah. what I mean? Stuff sure. like that.
0: It's like a one man show.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah. And uh, and the acting teacher, after about thirty or forty minutes, he stopped me and he said, uh, "He goes, where did you get this?" I said, I just, "I just kind of made it up," you know. And he said. I want to talk to you after class. But he said, right now we have to ha- we have other people in the class that need to do stuff. So you take a seat. He goes, how much more of this is there? I said, I don't know. I'll probably stretch it to another half hour. And uh, so after class, I thought I was in trouble, you know. From what, yeah. Shakespeare and so, police? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, he says, listen, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but he said, you have a real gift for this. He said, so you just came in here and improvised Othello and played all these characters. I go, yeah, I didn't know what else to do. He said, well, it's amazing. And he said to me at the time, out of everybody I've ever taught, I think that you will be standing on a stage someday accepting a trophy. Mm -hmm. he said, I think you can do this, which shocked me. And before him, the only other teacher that ever encouraged me was Maudie Treadway, who was my uh, drama teacher in high school. So they so, saw it in you. I guess they saw something, but yeah. one way or the other, I, you know, I, I did this, and he said, "Look, this is great." And I said, "Well, how, how much is it?" And he told me how much it was. I can't remember. And he said, uh, "I'll I'll float you for a while." He goes, "It's it's worth it to me to to watch you work here."
0: Oh, so that was your audition.
1: Basically. It was to yeah to see about getting a okay, class got it, yeah got it. yeah and oh, so he floated uh, you for a while yeah yeah he did and he also let me stay at his house part time he was wow. really good to me he let a lot of us stay there yeah and anytime he went, went out of town somebody we would all clamor to be the one that got the house sit for him because he lived in a nice regular house is, over on Bronson there is
0: that where he taught at
1: no no he taught you know where Crossroads of the World is yeah. uh, Cherokee and Sunset yeah uh, it was a little theater right in there and. Um, so one way or the other, he said, but listen, from now on, when you come in here, just know that monologues are supposed to be from three to five minutes long. Yeah. And I said, sorry about that. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I was doing a show. Yeah, but he let me finish it. And what'd you learn there? Uh, you know, I started paying attention more at that point, and I, I think the main thing I learned there yeah. was uh, – that you got to do this stuff and you got to get over the fact that you're showing your ass in front of a bunch of people. Uh-huh. I think that's, I mean, because I don't always agree with acting teachers and yeah. methods. And um, I think it was good for me because I got to do it all the time. Yeah. I met people, I felt like part of something and I because I was kind of an outcast most of my life. still am, you know, in a lot of ways. and I, Why I th- is that? I think, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just, I, I just feel kind of like I don't belong. I mean, I, I'm look, I'm just some poor moron who came out here and got lucky. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, uh, you think you're an oddball. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Or or I'm just so ordinary that, you know, I'm not sure what it is, really. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I was listening to Frank Zappa and the Mothers and Captain Beefheart when I was like 12. You know yeah, what I mean? So that'll do it. I was just different than the people back home. You know what I mean? <laughs> well,
0: Blame, blame and, Zappa and Beefheart, that's yeah, good. And, sure. and
1: the Bonzo Dog Band. Yeah. But um, I, I just, um, I don't know. I, I always fit in more with guys like Jim Jarmusch or somebody like yeah, that. You right. know, I never was or weights uh, or somebody yeah those yeah. guys are, yeah. were the people that i looked at as being people that i kind of understood what yeah. they were up to and, yeah and I, i'm not to this day i'm real nervous around rich people and and like you know i don't i don't know how to behave in, in big sort of society situations yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing and i was that way as a kid and i i think a lot of it is I, i'm still insecure from growing up real poor and being an outcast in school and being a poor kid, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. I yeah, think man. I think
0: it's still around. And I guess the reason why you looked at those guys like Zappa, Beefheart, Waits, or Jarmouche, is that is that they, <coughs> they seemed like uh, outsiders that could navigate their own space and right. hold their own space and get respect for being, you know, out there.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all find those people, I think, a lot in our lives. It's like when somebody would say something bad about me on the internet, which is still odd to me because we grew up not, not knowing who hated you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you know. You'd hear it from another Some guy. guy has, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Now they no. can do it right to your face. Exactly. Yeah. Some guy named Doug and Lincoln <laughs> hates me. So, but anyway, but the thing about that is, is when those guys would say something about me, I used to, I, I would want to get hold of them and say, "Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm am I'm a pathetic." ugly guy who somehow became popular as an actor for a spell. I'm now doing a, one TV show. I, I have a family. I'm not a, you know, I ain't no pinup boy. You know, it's like, why, why pick yeah. on me? You know, right, right, it's, like, it's, a, it's like, I'm, I'm I'm you. I'm not them.
0: Well, that. but in their mind, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you're the guy that married Angelina Jolie. You're a movie star. You won an Oscar. Like, whatever. Yeah. You, you know, they...
1: That, like, no, I get it, you know. I, I mean, I, I I get that part, but but you don't have got how, nothing to do with you, is what I'm saying. Right, right exactly. Yeah. It's, it's but it's like inside, you know who you are. Yeah, you know what I mean. Most so days. it's most, yeah, right. <laughs> so you kind of feel like yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, pick on somebody who's like you know pretty and got a lot of money. Yeah, a a real asshole. Pick a, yeah, right. Yeah, pick pick, <laughs> pick out a real asshole. <laughs> I'm
0: not a real asshole. <laughs> No, I I know what you're saying, I, I I but I do think that like well that's interesting to, to me because like um because your your story your 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 stardom was profound like I mean it was like one day you were this guy and the next day you were like that guy yeah you know publicly right right and that's I true and, yeah. I, and I and I imagine that 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 had to have. Uh, 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 i can't imagine what that felt like i mean you know how do you navigate that i mean like if you feel like you know you're just a you know this guy that you are you know you do you do have live in the rare air world a little bit right oh yeah (laughs) so so like before like just to get there so you take the acting class for a few years and what leads to you, you know you working
1: well i started to do these showcases they used to do showcases uh one of them was up at the, you know, the big old Methodist church at Highland. Uh, up when you're going toward the Hollywood yeah, Bowl, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Franklin, yeah, yeah, Franklin, yeah, yeah,
0: Highland Franklin, yeah.
1: They would have showcases in there and other places, and you would pay a certain amount of money, fifteen, twenty bucks. I can't remember what it was. And they, and the people that ran the showcase would bring in different casting directors or directors. Huh and you'd get to show them your stuff and that and, was real
0: it, really, it, yeah
1: it, yeah and uh some people actually got cast out of those showcases you know and i, and I met a couple people during, during that process that uh and 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 also i just started getting little things here and there like i remember being on matlock i had one scene playing a pawn shop got a worker and so you have just, an agent uh i eventually got an agent uh yeah uh, uh who's out of the business now but uh it was the Smith Friedman Agency. And yeah. they, they were one of those mid-level agencies, yeah. you know? and uh, um, Susan Smith ran the agency yeah. uh, with Andy Friedman, and uh, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I, but they signed me and Tom as writers, because they'd read through a friend of ours. Uh, they, uh, they actually uh, got one of our scripts and liked it, and they signed us up. They were a really good agency, but they wouldn't sign me as an actor because I didn't have any credits much, Uh except for in the theater group I belonged to, which was the West Coast Ensemble. And uh, the woman that ran the agency came to see me do my one-man show at the West Coast Ensemble. And afterwards, she said, I don't get it. I'm not signing you. What was the one-man show? Uh, I just did all these characters. (laughs) Okay. I include you know yeah. I, I I I did this I remember I did a New York character actor like you know the guys you run into out here who never quite made it but yeah. they were on Airwolf and different shows yeah, you yeah know? right and sure back in the old days they were in Short Eyes or whatever it was yeah, yeah. you know what I mean
0: that and, play or the movie uh, the play uh, well yeah stuff like that short eyes, but, but h- heavy thing man
1: right it's very heavy yeah and. But that they, but they all like knew Pacino, sure, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like right. guys who went to the actor's studio, right, and You right, know, they yeah. all knew each other, he, he and a b- bunch of those guys.
0: Uh, was it comedic? Was it comedic? It was guy?
1: mainly comedic, uh-huh. and uh, and, and and a little bit, uh, you know, uh, it was kind of uh, melancholy and comedic, you uh-huh, know, because yeah. you know, a lot of it was about you know people in the underbelly of society oh yeah yeah
0: cast of characters
1: yeah oh that's nice so
0: so so you did those things there and you started to get a little traction
1: yeah just bits and pieces here and there and then i you know and and uh, finally tom and i sold a screenplay or or optioned a screenplay to david geffen for which one uh it was called hands of another but it never got made and uh but but we got ten thousand dollars, you know. Man, that's pretty good. And well, I mean, and back then that sounds like nothing. Yeah. Now, and it was nothing then, but to us it was like a billion dollars. And so with that money from you know that, uh, yeah. at least that gave us enough of a foothold to to make a living and and be able to go out there without having to work at a place. Right. You know, we could for a, at least a couple of months we so could go three- out and.
0: Your apron down to do shaky's
1: exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then Tom and I, uh, eventually, uh, we wrote a movie called One False Move that got made, and it was a big critical success. Uh, it wasn't, uh, uh who made it? Uh, RCA Columbia, I think, financed in a company called IRS Media, uh, and you acting in it, yes. Uh, me and Paxton, uh, uh oh, Cinda Williams, remember. and it was, um. You know, a real noirish crime drama. you Yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, we'd written it, and and uh, I was the second lead of it, and 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 that was that really got us a name in the business. I mean, not with the public, but with the business. Yeah, you were in. Yeah, yeah, you. And then four or five years later, I did Sling Blade, and and uh, and, and it was. All,
0: and you wrote this. Um, how many movies did you write with that
1: person? Well, we wrote. See, one, two, three. Four, four that got made. Yeah, and and then we wrote a bunch of scripts together, probably twenty or something. But But he
0: uh, he he didn't write Swing Wade with you.
1: No, uh, no, I wrote that one and a script called Daddy and Them that I did uh, right before All the Pretty Horses uh, uh, by myself, and then. So then he wrote. He he still makes a living like uh, writing scripts like. Rewriting like script doctor sure. stuff, yeah, and yeah. He's, he's also a novelist. He's working on just got has a new novel coming out soon.
0: And you guys are still pals? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So when do you think? Like, because you know, I see that like you did a, a lot of weird little movies, but you also did like you were in Tombstone, and you had bit parts in, in Decent Proposal and stuff like that. Right. So, but Swing Blade was really the one, huh?
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Duvall was the, oh, your dad. Yeah, he played my dad in it. Yeah. Like, you had that, like, there was a vibe to it. Like, you know, like that documentary, My Brother's Keeper. Do you
1: ever Oh, that? yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you
0: know. Yeah, sure. You know, man, like, because, like, I remember, like, that, you know, the scene, that the, the old house where shit was just not oh, right. Yeah. Furniture wasn't right. Oh, yeah. Were, were you drawing from something, like, from your past? Oh, yeah. Yeah? That's Arkansas?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of that that I... Either was around or heard about or yeah. whatever. I mean, not, right. not not based on a story, right? But just some of the incidents and, I mean, the character is based on two or three different people put together. You know, yeah. like the voice, the, the body language, different things. You know, but uh,
0: you got right into it too, and you can still do that. I mean, you still got that thing. That's why I was trying to, you know, hit your hit, pick your brain about craft in terms of like, you know, how do you lock in like that. I mean, because you still do it, like even in this, you know, in Goliath, which is, you know, not as extreme a character, mm-hmm. but he's a character, mm-hmm. you know, and you got to, you know, lock in and the emotional range is all very present. And like in the, in the weird, the, 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 what was that one you did? Simple Plan.
1: Oh, A Simple Plan. Yeah. yeah. That was with Paxton and uh, Bridget Fonda. Sam you know, Raimi movies. Sam Raimi director. But you know, one.
0: that was another one where your character wasn't you, man. It wasn't you.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing Paxton. You were- i really was really i I, yeah and he didn't know it but because bill never knew that he was that much of a big old teddy bear sheepdog you know people you know and he he uh uh after i I think somebody told him that because then he said hey man i'm just gonna play you and i'm like oh okay (laughs) and so we were kind of both trying to be each other's brother you know really and i so i just played that character kind of like paxton was in in life you know oh, he just wild. he was just a good-hearted guy you know yeah, yeah. and uh so that was one of my favorites i, I loved simple plan as, i love that movie uh, a man who wasn't there uh i did with the Cohen brothers yeah. is another one of my favorites i life.
0: love the fucking gift like they're that
1: oh yeah the gift yeah it's based on my mom kind of yeah the
0: she was a, a psychic. psychic yeah man I, it's like it's a it's a it's I, that movie, there were scenes in that movie that I can't get out of my head, you know? Right. With Rabisi's character. You know, that whole Blue Diamond, that that storyline? Oh, like, sure, yeah. Too much, dude.
1: Well, that was real, yeah. It was real? That was real from my childhood, yeah. The the part that Giovanni played was when Tom and I were first writing the script. Yeah. That was the part that I was gonna play. yeah. But then, by the time we got that movie made, because yeah. it had been around a while. I was off to do other things, and and uh,
0: what, what what do you mean was real from your childhood?
1: Well, that that character existed. You knew him, yeah.
0: A guy from the town. Mm-hmm. Oh my oh, yeah. god! And Rabizi just acted the shit out of that. Thing. He
1: did. He did great.
0: God damn! That, and Raimi did. He directed that too, huh? Yeah, Sam did that too. Man, so in talking about like that that launch, like that transition from, because like I, I, I hear from what we talked about before that you still, you see yourself a certain way, but obviously the world sees you differently because of your, your celebrity and your, your job.
1: Right.
0: So when you when you transition like from kicking around, writing a script here and there in Swing Blade and, you know, awards talk and, and everything else, you know, and and you tell me you're uncomfortable going to things like I would imagine the Oscars. Well yeah. How 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 do you handle it, dude? I, I'm sorry, well, I didn't do it. I
1: have. That's all right. Uh, I do the same thing. <laughs> um, but I um, uh, I, I have a uh, a really bad sort of uh, case of obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorder yeah. and all these things, you know. Right. And uh, so I don't do well and people think i'm this really friendly social guy right and to tell you the truth and with fans and stuff i'll stand and sign stuff for them all day long yeah Uh, and and uh, it it doesn't matter i'm i'm all for it yeah uh because those are the people that put shoes on my kids sure i mean right yeah you uh, you owe it to your fans i believe that yeah and i don't get that nerved up around people like that it's um uh unless it looks like somebody might shoot me. Sure. <laughs> you know Does that mean? happen? Well, i mean, every now and then you get a stalker yeah, sure, or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. But but um well I'll put it to you this way. When I go to a big party yeah. that I have to go to because it's time and I and I love a lot of these folks. There's some really right. genuinely good people who are big deals in this business. Yeah. Like Jerry Bruckheimer is just a a great human. Yeah. You know, and he and his wife are great people and they're always kind to me they'll invite me to things that yeah. i probably have no business at but yeah. but for me going to a party that that say jerry Bruckheimer's hosting is like going to prince charles' house to me right. i feel so out of place and so nervous that i i think i think it's why i ramble a lot and and, and cuz i'll talk a lot you know but i'm naturally shy yeah i think i do it because i i if i if i'm quiet i get start to get really nervous right so if there's a lull in the conversation i start you know looking at the ground kicking rocks i don't know what to do you know what i mean <laughs> okay. and i have a lot of stand-up uh, not a lot yeah. i have a handful of stand-up comic friends right who like rick overton oh yeah sure yeah. you know yeah. and ron white guys yeah. like that that yeah. i've known over the years yeah. and uh I Actually, remember Monty Hoffman? Yeah. Monty passed away not long ago. And, yeah. And uh, I, I used to know him years ago. And I've talked to them about it before, about how, you know, your whole job is to get up there and be self-deprecating a lot of times. Talk about what a piece of shit you right. are or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's what I am when I'm in front of people and it looks like I'm doing great. Yeah. Inside, I'm. I feel like the... I mean, the the guy who you know, takes care of the yard. I, I, I don't feel like one of the people at the party.
0: I remember when I saw you at that rooftop. That was the only time I met you. We were, I don't know what the hell it was. It was a publicity thing, and we were yeah, on a roof.
1: That's right. And we
0: and yeah. were standing by yourself. And yeah, I like oh, yeah, i gonna go.
1: Back. I was in the corner smoking. <laughs> <laughs> you were. <laughs> That's where I always am.
0: <laughs> but where, where do you? Where do you think that comes from? Have you tracked it? Would it help you out to track it, or you just think it's
1: a mental thing? Or uh, was your dad a, a crazy man? He, he was. Uh, well, these days they would call it abusive, I suppose. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I know they would. Yeah. Uh, back then, it was just the way things were <laughs> oh, no. you know yeah but yeah i got whacked around quite a bit and uh was he boozy no no oh, my dad was not a drinker just uh, uh just neither were man my parents he, well he was just a wound up yeah you know tight ass little you know english irish you yeah. know redneck coach you know and yeah he, and you uh, you didn't uh you didn't make noise when he's watching Ed Sullivan or whatever and watching that that kind of
0: thing. So you're, you're always waiting for the, for the thing. (laughs) And
1: they say, that's how it happens. They say that OCD can start out because of, uh, like, uh, when my dad would, uh, it was almost time for him to get home work. Right. I'd look at the clock and I'd say to myself, if I can count to a hundred seven times before the car pulls in the driveway, everything's going to be okay. And I, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, right. So I yeah, think that's yeah. where it all started. And I, I have memories of it as early as 10 or 11. So it's almost like maybe this magical work. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so it was just unpredictability.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
0: right. And then you'd seek to control it through these systems. Right. And it wouldn't. Right. But they're still comforting now.
1: Yeah, because you think if, if you don't do it, yeah, okay. Like people with this stuff, if, if, if I get the idea in yeah. my head that I got to do something, it's like an itch that's uh, got to be scratched. Right. You have to do it. Right. And I mean, I, I touched a guy, I was, there was a guy with a giant black head on his neck and a yeah. supermarket line one yeah. time. Yeah. And this was a long time ago. Yeah. And I got the, and it got in my head that somehow I had to touch that thing, which yeah. I'm a germaphobe, so I didn't want to touch it. Right. But I got in my head I had to, and so I did, and then acted like. And the guy turns around, of course. He was an older guy. Yeah. And I, I went and then kind of tripped over something and lo- and dropped a magazine. Yeah. In the line at right. the supermarket and said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't mean to. You know." Yeah. But I came up with a way where I could satisfy the ocd and still not get punched out you know right yeah in the line yeah
0: yeah you you just in that moment you're like this is this is important i'm
1: gonna touch that thing right so how do i yeah right how do i figure this out i mean it's like it's a i mean i laugh about it but it's it's exhausting i can't imagine
0: i I just like to have those kind of compulsions where you, you know you're gonna seem crazy yeah to whoever, what what right. a, what other ones do you use
1: daily? Well, a lot of it's just geometrical stuff in my head. Oh, really? Yeah that that you don't necessarily see a physical manifestation right, of it, where right. you could go, "Hey, what the hell is that guy doing?" Right. But I do things verbally sometimes, where if I've said something, and then I am in a conversation with three or four people, and I don't finish it, yeah. They could go on seven different topics. Oh, yeah, and you're hanging out. And, and 30 minutes later, I'll finish what I said. You know what I mean? And
0: they'll look at you like, what yeah,
1: the fuck? They have no idea what I'm talking about but, at that point. But
0: but were you sitting there, like, sort of harboring it? Absolutely.
1: Ugh. <laughs> no
0: doubt about can't, it. <laughs> can't listen. You just sort of yeah, like... Okay. you're
1: just kind of zoned out. You yeah. start sweating, you're, you're, you know, and you get kind of dizzy, think you're having a panic attack. Yeah, it's weird.
0: So acting on some level has got to be great because there's a sort of context. There's a control. Yeah.
1: There's a script. You get. It's like people with Tourette's syndrome. I mean, I saw a documentary once, and there was a guy who, uh, he was an archer and a theater actor. Uh-huh. I believe he's from Canada, and... uh but he would bark and all kind of things, but then when he would concentrate on putting that arrow in the bullseye, he was, I mean, just zoned in completely. And comfortable, like not thinking about it. Exactly. Not freaking out about something. And when he was on stage in a play, he said he was fine. Wow. But then the rest of the time, See, idle time is not good for that kind of person. <laughs>
0: right, because, like, especially just the, the sort of, I would imagine, like, that different degrees of it would tend towards agoraphobia. Like, you know, just the idea Absolutely. of, like, just going outside.
1: I've got some of that. My, oh, yeah. my mom was agoraphobic. And, really? Uh, I mean, in her last 20 or so years. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've got a touch of it. Uh, I, I think my agoraphobia, though, was directly related to fame and also when the social network started really coming along you know the social networking platforms only because only because i got a well with so much criticism like i'm a i'm a, a a weakling i can't take uh uh I mean, constructive criticism. I'm all for. Right, but just I, I can't. I can't take the, you know some dick just saying you know what? A, why is this guy? Doing, you know, whatever. Right. You know, or if they you know attack your family or uh-huh. your looks or whatever like that. I mean, look. Here's the thing. All I want to say to fans or or not fans or yeah. guys that hate me or whatever right. they call people trolls or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just want to say, I'm an insecure, dyslexic, obsessive compulsive guy who has panic attacks and is not comfortable in his own skin i don't feel like i fit in i'm a mess uh i love my children and i stay home and so please for god's sake don't give me something don't give me some more (laughs) shit you know so i think i just kind of went inside because you know i think artists in a lot of ways have become afraid to stick their neck out of the cave because they get a, their head chopped off.
0: There's no way to, uh, you know, there's always a way into you now.
1: But, you know, it's like, obviously, you know, the whole, the internet and a lot of this stuff is, yeah. is helpful. I mean, it's really of a helpful course, thing. Of course. And there, are great things they're doing—medicine, all yeah. kinds of things. I mean, but it's it's like anything that's ever been invented. I mean, yeah, I remember the History Channel had a, a the 100 most important inventions of yeah. all time, right? And they would show like, you know, 20 of them at a time over five episodes or whatever. Yeah. I, I couldn't wait. I got really into it. I wanted to see what was the number one, right? Yeah. And it turns out it was a printing press, which made total sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean it was the first time there was mass communication yeah. and yeah. so and with that came good things uh, and, bad. and bad things <laughs> yeah, exactly right. so uh, it's kind of like the printing pre- the internet became you know what the printing press was initially you know uh, back in those days yeah but, but
0: but yeah but now the fucked up thing is is like pretty much everyone has a printing press so well, yeah, that's some the thing. guys some guys job is just to yeah. be spinning that machine <laughs> billy
1: bob's an asshole billy right. bob's an asshole right. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> that, that guy's so easy yeah. yeah right i don't know if that guy should have a printing press <laughs> right <laughs> exactly he seems obsessed too right oh man <laughs> so yeah.
0: what? Well, let me let me ask you something about duval mm-hmm. you guys spend a lot of time together
1: well he lives over in, on the east coast but uh when he's out here yeah, yeah. i see him yeah
0: what do you like? Because I'm now remembering that there, they like he barely talks on Swing Boy, but he does something with his face. <laughs> oh he, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what do he do? Like he bit his lip or what
1: was it? It was a yeah. Weird... He just makes a face at me. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: and there's like he did something weird. Like I can't remember, but like working with him because he did The Apostle as well. Yes. And and uh I don't know what I, I know the judge. I think, I, I know yeah. he's been in some other movies, but like, the stuff, what, yeah. like 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 what, what 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 do you what do you learn from his process? I mean, I you have to.
1: Well, he taught me a couple of things early on that uh-huh. i that i've never forgotten one is there were a few actors that he couldn't stand uh-huh. i won't name them but there were big actors yeah and uh people would talk about s- this guy's performance you know so subtle and deval <laughs> used to say there's a thin line between subtlety and boredom yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, subtle and boring uh-huh, he said that's uh-huh. how he put it and uh and so that there has to be life in you, no matter what you're doing, and that life has to show. But he also taught me that there's no such thing as uh, acting being the underplayed. He said life is not underplayed. Yeah. He said sometimes life is underplayed, obviously. Yeah. But he said sometimes it's overplayed. Sometimes, you know, when somebody says somebody was over the top, I think... I think the average movie watcher who uses that term, over the top, they're using the wrong term Mm. because there are people in real life who are over the top. Sure. That's true. And there are people who are very subtle. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, people that are very quiet and powerful right there are all those kinds of people and Duvall said there's room for all that in a movie so every time somebody does a subtle performance why do they say it's genius and then another guy may do something where he's bouncing off the walls and it may be uh, brilliant right you know and right. so and that's one of the things he taught me uh 'Cause you know, over the top that's not a that's not the thing. If someone does a bad job of playing a character <laughs> yeah. and they're 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 doing a bunch of random stuff for yeah. attention and scene yeah. and chewing the scenery, that's that's one thing. Yeah. But just to be over the top is not a bad thing based on whatever that character's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, and 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 there are people in real life that are over the top.
0: And that sort of help
1: you think about characters a little bit. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting. There's
0: life in every... What do you say? There's life in every action? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I heard that Gene Hackman once said, I know how to fill myself up. Like, before he would go out there.
1: Sure. That's what you got to do. You have to know... It's you know, a lot of times actors who are, like i said, i'm I'm so unsure of myself as a human, yeah, that that's the one place I could really pull my power up, right. And that's where you uh, you know you uh, you really live right there. yeah. And this whole thing about living in the moment as yep. an actor, that's another misunderstood thing. Sometimes humans aren't living in the moment.
0: Sure, they're out there. So,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. And you may be playing that person. Yeah. So you can't go by all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's like, I remember the, what was it, the Sid Field screenwriting book yeah, or whatever. Right, and yeah. you know, one of the things that said in there was, you have to introduce all the main characters in the first 10 pages. Well, that's bullshit. You don't have to do that. Yeah, you have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do anything anybody says. You do whatever the fuck you want. If it works good for you, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's but that's tricky, isn't it? Like, you know, do, how do you find your way into a guy? I mean, is there one like let's say like it seems like this guy you're playing now in Goliath is is not not too far off. I mean, he's got some of the right. same characteristics you do. Sure. But, but like when you look at that, did, was it something about sleep apnea? Was it about like, which was, the, what was the window into that guy for you?
1: I read the script and it was almost like reading my life if I were a lawyer. <laughs> right, right. And so I just go, oh, okay. I can do that. I Honest to God, I've I've been known for playing all these different types and different characters sure. and things, but- with all those characters they're still within a certain wheelhouse yeah so uh you know i what i essentially do other than a couple of times uh i I can honestly say only maybe twice in my lifetime did i ever do a movie for money yeah uh where i didn't hate the character i liked the character but it wasn't maybe my first choice you Mm -hmm. know and uh you know so when when you read a script you either, at least I do. I look at it and I go, "I'm the best guy for that job." Right. I I am this guy. That's that's me. I can do that. I, I can do that. Yeah. And I've turned down things that would have made a lot of money for me, and or or maybe some more popularity, because I'm not a. I'm not that popular of an actor. I'm popular with people who like me. Right. But I'm not that popular in terms of the world. I mean, like, I don't have any international name. Right. I'm basically a domestic guy. I'm an American actor. And, and people in England kind of know me. Maybe Not you know, even the uh, Bad Santa movies? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, every now and then I'll run to a guy from Japan who says Bad Santa. But, 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 you know. what,
0: you, but what you're saying is like that, you know, in, 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 if it's within your range... You can lean into it.
1: Absolutely. And, and so I only pick the things that I'm right for. Right. And so that, that also allows you a certain strength, you know. And I my, my standard joke is always, uh, I've told it to death, but it's just the truth. If you're doing a movie about Charles de Gaulle, get a Frenchman. <laughs> you know, it ain't me. I'm not going to go and you know study with you know some sure. guy named you know yeah. Francois for right. six months to learn how to play Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, there's plenty of cats that can play Charles de Gaulle. Get yeah. one of them. Right. But if you're going to do fucking Davy Crockett, get <laughs> me. Don't fucking get a Frenchman. You know, it's like because we got plenty of Texans. Yeah. We got all kind of Texans. Yeah. And we got all kind of New Yorkers. We yeah. got all kind of people from Oregon, wherever right. it is. Yeah. So we don't necessarily have to have people from Australia and England and New Zealand or wherever the hell it is play fucking William Travis. Why make it difficult, right? (laughs) And so, and then by the same token, we also don't need to go over there and play Winston Churchill. Good choice, Gary Oldman let Gary Oldman do it don't yeah. well, fucking get you know yeah. me Yeah, <laughs> you well, know what
0: What kind of things have you been offered where you just gonna, but like no like but the thing is I guess the question is like, it seems to me that your wheelhouse is pretty broad because you're still able to take risks I mean you know Monsters Ball was not a walk in the park was
1: it not, well none of them have been a walk in the park right. I mean they're, they're, it's always hard uh, and uh, some of the parts you get into too much and you really you know it get, affects you and Monsters Ball was a heavy movie yeah and, man I was playing, you know, my dad in a lot of ways in that in that movie. And uh, uh, so, did it, yeah, did yeah, it, it was heavy. And uh, when
0: you came out of it, did, were, did, were, did it upset you?
1: It was, uh, yeah, it affected all of us who were involved in that movie, I think. I think we didn't, we didn't quite get over it for a while, but, you know, it's... Yeah, there. Yeah, I've played different kind of kind of. Still cats. risk.
0: There's still risk there's, involved. Even there's if
1: there's, there's risk if it's there's especially risk if you're playing yourself. Sometimes. Yeah,
0: I guess that's true. Huh? You know
1: what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, but then again, I, I that, those are other words that maybe sometimes in the entertainment business I always find funny, because people will go, you know, you really take risks, or they say, what a brave performance. Yeah. You know what? Tell a fucking soldier that. Yeah, yeah. Tell a soldier that some guy was b- really brave when he played Hamlet.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any brave performance in the entertainment business other than maybe, honestly, stand-up comedy, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean if you get up there and your sole purpose is to make people laugh, like, instantly, you know... If you just took a shit in front of everybody. Well, you know, I've been, i, I
0: <laughs> right. but I've been doing it for like half my life. And what <laughs> happens with it is that not unlike getting the skill set, right. you know, you know how to absorb failing, right. you know how to absorb a joke not working, right. but you do build a certain comfort on stage where you're like, well, I live up there. Right. So nothing's going to happen <laughs> to me up there. I know sure. what that is.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. You nice know what I
0: mean? That. Sure. So like you, you if you're lucky like it took me like 20 years like you look at a stage and like no i can't wait to get out there as right. opposed to like oh fuck right. what the fuck do these people want yeah. hey, look at that fucking guy. <laughs> you know like but but once you change over you know it's just a, it's 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 like anything else it's like you, you know you do you do your time and you know you're not going to be afraid anymore right
1: yeah yeah,
0: And usually you'll make people laugh sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some nights are better than others. But like yeah. when you're like Ron White, you yeah. know, bad night is just going to be like, I didn't get, you know, they weren't laughing all the time. Right, exactly. Or they weren't laughing at this level. Oh, yeah. Right. So Ron on a, on a, on a shitty night's going to get pretty good laughs all the way through.
1: All he has to do is walk out there and oh, yeah. pour his glass of scotch, and, you, and he's in. Yeah, oh yeah. Because yeah. you've just sat down in a bar yeah. with Ron White. Sure. I mean, so that's kind of what it is. Yeah. And yeah, Ron. One of the funniest things I ever heard. A couple of the funniest things I ever heard in my life were from Ron, and one was he was he flew from like uh, uh, Flagstaff to uh, you know Phoenix yeah. or something like right. that. And he said, "Because my manager uh, evidently doesn't own a globe." Yeah. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> you know what I mean? "Yeah, right." And <laughs> and the other thing he said was when he was in New York and he got in trouble. Uh, in he was in there drinking. Yeah, and uh, uh, some something went on, and the cops showed up, uh-huh. and they threw him outside on the sidewalk and got roughed up by a few cops. And he he said, "They said uh, he, he said, What are you doing with me? What are you arresting me for?'" And they said, for uh, drunk in public. And he said, I I wasn't drunk in public. I was drunk in there. You guys threw me in public. (laughs) And uh, one of them said... yeah. do you know how many of us it'd take us to kick your ass for us to kick your ass and Ron said I don't know how many of you it'd take but I know how many you're going to use <laughs> 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 uh, he's funny yeah he's a funny guy I always like
0: hanging out with him Yeah, he's a good guy well
1: it was great yeah. talking to you man well, you
0: too Mark I'm glad you came by yeah thanks there you go there you have it Goliath both seasons on Amazon now It was nice to see him. Nice to talk to Billy Bob. Some vintage WTF posters are back in the swag store. Go to podswag.com slash WTF or go to the merch page of WTFpod.com. We've got five posters up there, all signed by me, some of them limited edition. Enjoy that. Okay. I'll play a little guitar if I can remember the thing I was doing a minute ago. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex ultra soft tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know, all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing, but take my word for it. People definitely sneeze in here. And when they they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.